electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Courtney Reagan, and today for Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, stocks retreat as the banking sector gets battered with a big downgrade. Our investment committee is standing by to break down the fallout. Joining us for the hour, Josh Brown, Brent Talkington, Stephanie Link, and Sarat Sethi. Let's get a check on the markets here at noon Eastern to see where we stand before we dig into some of the details for you. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ all lower. And the NASDAQ is lower by the biggest percentage, down 1.5%. Dow Industrial is down about a percent. Same with the S&P 500. We've got the yield on the 10-year also in focus as we are dropping a bit below or have dropped below 4%. So we want to pay attention to that. The VIX also moving around 18. So some movement there, which is something that we haven't seen in quite a while. And, of course, when you're looking at the sectors, you've got tech and financials, which are really the biggest laggards. And, of course, we have this big cut from Moody's today. We want to dig into the financials. Read across the board after the firm cut credit ratings for a number of these banks, 10 small and mid size banks also put a number of others on watch. Surat, I'm going to start with you because I believe that you own U.S. Bank Corp, which is one of the names that's on watch. Right. Why are we seeing so much bloodshed today, though? Because of all the concerns that Moody's lists, none of these are particularly new. Now, this is old news, and this should have come out in the first quarter when we had the debacle with the banks. I think what you're just seeing is a short-term reaction where you probably have a bunch of the, you know, the, the, the computer funds, exactly algorithms, okay. you know, selling short on the financials. You get the regionals. But all this was baked in. I mean, the valuations of these companies were baked in as soon as all this happened in the first quarter. So it's not a surprise. But, you know, if you're a long-term investor, there could be some good opportunities. I mean, U.S. Bancorp is not a small, mid-sized bank. Mm. It is one of the <laughs> largest banks out there. So when you look out there, and, you know, I like the large-cap banks, and some of them are on sale today. So a J.P. Morgan and a Morgan Stanley, all of them are just, it's kind of being thrown out with the basket. And I think you're going to see some opportunities there. That's interesting. So this is not a fearful day for you at all. These are things that you've already known, and you're looking for no, opportunities. No, it's kind of like when we downgraded our debt for, yep. for our country. Like, all this is news that's not any different. So. So why should it have this effect other than a, hey, we're rebalancing in terms of algorithms or, or things like that? And Stephanie, you have some financial positions as well. Does it look attractive to you today to dig in a little more? The sector did really well last month. It was up 9%, and that's because earnings came in much better than expected. Mm-hmm. The banks had 19% earnings growth. Financial overall had 7% earnings growth. And that was really a positive surprise. I wasn't even expecting to see the numbers <laughs> that good, to be honest with you. Now, that being said, Courtney, while I think that this downgrade is, is late, I think that the regional banks are, are going to be in a world of, of hurt for mm. quite some time. They've got to increase their capital levels, right, from Basel III endgame. Mm. They have a couple of years to do it, but they also have a high concentration in commercial real estate, right? And I think you are seeing cash sorting, even though it's slowing. I do think you're seeing market share take from the large cap banks. So mm. I think you want to be very careful in terms of which banks you want to own. And I own the big ones, right, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America. 
Schwab. Uh, those are where I think that there are still value. I don't necessarily want to buy it today because they've just had a big rally from their lows, right? So I think you want to wait, be patient. And I, I do think, though, that you don't want to, to be owning some of these regionals at this point in time because okay. I do think there's going to be a lot of market share lost over the next yeah. couple of years. And, and I think it's interesting downgrading after the earnings, right? When you did have, well, why not do it before or, or have them respond to it? Now it's kind of like, hey, we just had these earnings and we know the small banks have mm -hmm. talked about this, the regionals have talked about it, and it's just not commercial. It's all, it's also, you know, uh, people who have individual homes. There's a slowdown there. Credit is tightening. We know that. That's kind of baked in. So I, I think we're aware of that. You see that in the yields of some of these banks as well in terms of where the bonds are trading. Um, so it's buyer beware, uh, but we've been talking about that all year. And we might get closures, but you know how many banks have we've seen that have failed since mm. 2009? 513 banks have failed. And a lot of them you, you never even heard sure. of, right? So it's going to happen. Uh, it's okay. But the large banks are in so much better shape because of the excess capital that they've had to have uh, in the face of all this regulation. And so I think that's, again, one of the reasons why you want to own more of the mm. large names versus right. the small ones. And I want to bring Brent in because, Brent, I believe you are in some of the bigger names here for banks, even though we're seeing the large banks also fall in sympathy today with what's going on with some of these regionals on this cut from Moody's. Right. Well, I mean, we've been really underweight banks. I, I only personally own Goldman. You know, we sold out of um, our small cap value factor-based ETF um, at the end of 2021 because as you're going into this big Fed tightening that we saw in 2022, then all of a sudden you know that regional banks aren't going to do well. I mean, I continue to think that the smaller banks are going to be anesthetized because not only do you have their denominator, which are deposits, are under siege because of where T-bills are or where money markets are. And so you're going to continue to see a lot of, I think, uncertainty from the C-suite of these regional banks in terms of how much lending growth they can actually do. So I think that denominator is still, is still in flux. I also think that you saw today, this didn't get as much news, but in Italy, you know, they proposed a windfall tax on those banks. So I think banks in Europe as well as the U.S. are under pressure. I think Steph is, you know, spot on. She owns the bigger banks. And if you look at with earnings, that's where you saw solid earnings. And so I think that you also saw in July a massive move in the regional bank index, which is, you know, also located in small cap value. And I think that trade is unwinding. And I do think it's relevant today when they came out to say, hey, you know what, this was this is a short-term phenomenon, I believe July was. I think this banks over the next year or two are going to continue to be under fire, and you would want to stay underweight this sector that just doesn't have these structural, not only regulatory issues, but also just that denominator effect of where interest rates are. Sure, understand. There's certainly risks and some headline risks, of course, as well. Josh, what do you make of the Moody's call? I know you own J.P. Morgan and Berkshire, so obviously much bigger names. You're not so much exposed to these regional banks that could have more of the strain. I, I broadly agree with what Moody's is saying. And, you know, a lot of people raced in to buy the dip in the regional banks in March and April, and they were rewarded because those stocks had a really nice bounce. Um, but I, I didn't love the idea and I didn't really, you know, I bought Schwab and sold it quickly. I don't think there's an opportunity in these, in these smaller banks. And I agree with Surat, like U.S. Bank Corp is not really a regional bank, but like just broadly speaking, these are companies without a purpose at this point. They, they look like coal mines to me. 
I don't think they're going to zero. I just think they could go through a decade of shrinking market cap and relevance and challenged uh, earnings and no growth and maybe some forced consolidation at some point. I really don't want to be anywhere near them. Uh, Bank Santander put out a uh, consumer survey at the end of July, and they talked to over 2,000 middle-income households. That's people earning between 42,000 and 147,000 or something. And when they asked them what were the most important factors when considering a bank, 98% said being stable and secure. 97% said 24-7 access via online or digital applications. And then there's like eight other choices. You know what the, the bottom choice was, the thing that most people cared the least about? Having a branch within 10 minutes of my home or work. That was the whole point of, of all of these thousands of regional banks, small thrift banks, because they were low. That doesn't matter anymore. That's been neutralized as an advantage. And so what is the point? Um, and that's why, take, 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 consider this. Look at the, the gigantic bank earnings that we just saw uh, from just three banks, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, and Bank of America. Uh, they brought in $50 billion last quarter. Their savings rate, Chase is 0.01%, nothing. <laughs> the savings rate for Bank of America, 0.01. Wells Fargo, 0.15. They can do that at will. It doesn't matter. For everyone else, it does. So I would stay far away from most of the companies in that sector. And that's why you see me in J.P. Morgan and uh, Berkshire. The coal mine comment, that's a strong one. I want to uh, talk a little bit more about this Moody's rating downgrade. Of course, it's just one of the headwinds that's facing this sector right now. Let's get over to Leslie Picker. Uh, what else exactly is at play? You've been busy, Leslie. <laughs> yeah, Gord, it's certainly been a busy year. But interestingly enough, since the end of the quarter, the KRE, which is the you know ETF that tracks a lot of these regionals, that was up 20% before today, uh, basically because these companies went through earnings season looking a little bit better than people had feared. You know, the focus changed from the balance sheet, which had been the, the real, um, you know, focus during the first quarter of earnings. In the second quarter, it changed more to the bottom line. Bottom line looked okay. You saw, you know, modest, um, you know, deposits coming out of the system. A lot of that was attributed to taxes paid in April, um, you know, a little bit of QT there as well. And so everybody said, you know what, maybe the worst is behind us. And they bid those stocks up. What Moody's did today is it basically just reminded the market of the various headwinds that are out there. You guys were talking a bit about, um, you know, obviously the competition for deposits, the regional's ability to, you know, have some of that pricing pressure relative to uh, some of the big banks in terms of what they pay out for deposits. They have to be paying more to keep those deposits in-house. They've also been tapping higher funding sources, uh, you know, to kind of avoid some of that asset liability mismatch that was a, a, an issue in March and April. And then, of course, what's going on at the central bank? You've got QT, which I mentioned, taking deposits out of the system, higher rates impacting, you know, the assets on their balance sheet as well and the quality of course, regulation is a huge issue here as well with um, the new Basel, the Basel uh, three endgame rules that recently came out that will apply to those with $100 billion or more in assets. So they're kind of feeling it from every corner. Uh, equity prices have ignored that um, really until today. And now it's kind of just with this report that isn't necessarily sharing anything that wasn't already out there, but it's just kind of reminding the market, hey, these forces are still out there and they may have yet to really play out.
That's a good point, Leslie. It kind of reminds the market, and to Surat's point, reminds the machines um, of what yes. we already knew, but of course maybe gets us a little trigger happy when it comes to having a reaction therein. Surat, if I, if I can bring you back in, we talked about U.S. Bancorp, but you also own some of the big banks, yeah. too. And so do you agree that that is the only safety play? I, I do, and you know, Josh's point's really important, that the banks are getting customers now because they're naturally going towards them. They don't really have to go acquire banks if they don't have to. And I think that's why it's interesting when you see, I can see the, re, the smaller banks going down, but I think the bigger ones are going to do better because they're just going to get a natural kind of movement of customers so that they can get their broad based and, be, and, and also feel safe. Because I mean, at the end of the day, the government has protected the depositors, but you want to make sure that's the case. So I think the accretive nature of all these customers moving, and as soon as the capital markets start opening up, and one of the things we're not talking about is, look, we've had no capital markets activity for many months. True. The large banks will really take advantage of that. The JP Morgans, the Morgan Stanleys, the Schwabs, all of them will do well because all of a sudden you get more additional capital flow. You just want diversification, mm-hmm. really yeah. what you want, to Sarat's point, right? You want capital markets, right? You want deposits to sure, some degree, sure. but you also you want, want other things, wealth management. That's why I like Morgan Stanley so much, because they have expanded beyond just trading in capital markets. But if you think capital markets are in the process of bottoming, which I actually do, I know Surat does as well, you'd want to own these things yeah. now because they're trading so, at, at such attractive levels. I mean, you could get Bank of America for under one times book value. That is so rare. Yeah. And this company has done such a great job in terms of cutting costs while having some pressures in some of the capital markets businesses, but they have a big wealth management business too. So the ones that I own are kind of like these special situation stories in mm. a way because they are diversified and you can win from a couple of different places. And the thing that really helps the operating leverage and wealth management when capital markets open up yeah. is huge. Uh, great point. Right? Great point. Because the money flows into wealth management without any extra capital costs. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and you're already getting 5% sitting on cash, and then you get other things to put your, your assets into. So we, we've actually had this movement with wealth management stocks without really seeing that operating leverage, and they're still not trading at expensive values. Josh, I know you want to jump in. It's such a great point that, that Stephanie and Sarat are making here about capital markets. And I want, to put some, uh, I want to put some meat on those bones, so to speak. If you look at the second quarter earnings from J.P. Morgan, uh, again, paying a, 0. a 0.01% savings rate, they somehow managed a 44% year-over-year increase in net interest income. So $22 billion in net interest income for the quarter. How? Is it magic? No. It's because that cash sorting, what that looks like for the major banks that have wealth management, to Stephanie's point, or that have capital markets, this is what it's like. Let's say, uh, Courtney, your financial advisor is sitting at J.P. Morgan Securities, which is their brokerage arm, or the private bank, or their wealth management, whatever. You call up and you say, what am I earning? on my, uh, my uh, savings account. Nothing, congratulations. Okay, what can we do about that? No problem. Here's a mutual fund. Here's an ETF. Here's a higher margin, you know, here's a, a higher uh, income cash product. Here's a, a new money market fund. We only make it a, a available to uh, millionaires. Whatever the case may be, the money stays there. They find a way, even if you cash sort at Bank of America, at Wells Fargo, at J.P. Morgan, cash sort all you want. They will find a way to drive that into their asset management business. They will make money, I promise you. You can't say that for M&T Bank. 
You can't say that mm. for the names on, on Moody's list. That's the difference. And, I, and that's why I agree with what Surratt and Stephanie were saying. So if you're going to be in financials, and you can, understand where the money ultimately is going to end up. Leslie, what, to bring you back into this conversation, what are the banks saying about a potential timeline for the uh, capital markets to open back up, for this opportunity to come back into play? Some of them think that it's already kind of bottomed and that we could see, you know, to Stephanie's point as well, uh, we could see things tick higher from here. Um, but the point about diversification, really important in this space, especially when you're facing headwinds from, you know, left and right. I just wanted to bring up this idea of consolidation because mm. I think that's also important. Uh, Josh brought up the NII uh, much higher for J.P. Morgan. I think it was over $2 billion worth of that was just thanks to the acquisition of First Republic. Um, and so consolidation is something that when you face, you know, a series of regulatory um, actions, when you're facing, you know, margins that are compressing due to a variety of macro factors out there. Consolidation and, and, you know, getting scale could be a way to combat that. But the regulators have really signaled to this space that it's not something they want to see more of, especially for banks that have $100 billion or more in assets. So one saving grace, you know, to kind of bulk up in this current environment is kind of off the table for a lot of these banks. I mean, we saw the PacWest Bank of California merger. But the question, I think, for a lot of investors in the sector, how many more of those are out there and how appealing, who are the natural buyers and how appealing is it right now given just the overall regulatory environment? Leslie, you had a great interview with James Gorman from Morgan Stanley a couple of weeks ago and he said at that time he thought capital markets actually had bottomed mm -hmm. four weeks previously, mm. right? So that was a great interview, by the way. We learned a ton, but I, I think that that's one of the reasons why we have that confidence in the capital markets business. And whether it's bottomed, whether it's in the process of bottoming, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Right, always is. And time will tell when we see more mergers and acquisitions potentially in that space as well. Leslie, thank you very much. Drink some water, get something to eat. <laughs> You're going to be busy. Well, while the bank drama is playing out in the broader market today, we are seeing shares lower nearly across the board. The growing chorus of Wall Street bears are again kind of calling for a recession. It's repercolating. JP Morgan saying two-thirds of their global economists are expecting a recession this year or next. And Credit Suisse saying it's now more negative, obviously, in this report about the banks. Moody's also expecting a mild recession sometime in early 2024. Why now, Surat? What's happening? Why are we all of a sudden getting so negative? Well, I think a few of them have been negative <laughs> all the way up to yeah, 4,500, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So now that you've kind of outreached the price targets, it's much easier to say, hey, market's up, you know, 20 percent, 15 to 20 percent. Let's kind of say let's pause because the valuations are still reflecting pretty high valuations mm. at this point. You know, the seven are still at trading over 20 and and we've just had earnings season. So you're going to be in a little bit of quiet period. And, and let's see what happens with interest rates moving up to where they are. What is the Fed going to do? Yeah. So those are some things that I think you can look at and say, hey, are we going to be at a pause if you're a long term investor? Very hard for us to trade around mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. As a short-term investor, path of least resistance, probably down from here. Where are we going to be down? You're probably going to have rolling kind of movement among sectors, depending on kind of where you think valuation is going to be for the next couple of quarters. So I think if, you're, you know, if you've got money invested, you've got to be careful that you're diversified. You know, some of these stocks have done really well, so take some money off the table. And there's plenty of opportunity there, whether you're looking at healthcare, staples, other defensive, uh, even picking on commodities at this point, which mm -hmm. I think have some great opportunity, given that 
we're not really going to get away from inflation. I mean, mm-hmm. wages are still up. You, you saw that in the UPS's earnings. You, you're going to see that across the board. So there are opportunities, but at 4,500, it's much easier to say we're going to pull back than it was at 4,000 when they were wrong. Brad, what do you make about the action? Is any of this seasonality? We, of course, are getting, going to get the latest CPI result coming up this week on Thursday. Valuation's too high. What's going on here, and what's your case for recession or not? So as an asset allocator, you know, I cannot look around corners, and I don't think anyone can. And so I felt going into the year, we felt that there was a really wide range of outcomes. And it's great, right? We all know bull markets are much more fun than bear markets. I will say what I keep a really close attention to that came out today is, you know, the New York Fed you know, publishes their quarterly report about credit in the consumer across mortgages, delinquencies. And, you know, this time in 2021, we had um, used cars and credit card delinquency, 30-day delinquencies around 4%. We've now um, hockey pucked almost 8%. And so to me, that is somewhat of a canary in a coal mine that you want to pay attention to because you don't, what happens to people that are 30 days late? They typically go into 60 and 90 or some portion of that. So to me, that's, that's, that's concerning because all of us have jobs, jobs are a plenty, but having that much on debt and then delinquencies kicking up to almost 8% on that 30 day is definitely something that I'm paying close attention to and investors should as well. Let's get over to Christina Partsonevla. She has a market flash on NVIDIA. This is a high flyer everybody's watching. Christina, what's going on? Well, NVIDIA is launching a new super chip, the GH200, that can connect to any large language motto. The CEO, Jensen Wong, is taking to the stage right now at a conference in L.A., and he argues this new super chip can connect to any large language model and lower costs. The interesting thing, though, is that this chip would work on AI inference, which means making predictions versus just training them, which requires, you know, learning all the data sets. In other words, a super chip that spews out the answers versus just learning. And what we're seeing right now with this stock though is that it is down it came off the session lows it's down about two percent part of the reason could be one sell the news the second part is the competition between nvidia and amd amd is launching their own version by the end of this year nvidia's super chip i'm talking about that's only going to be uh, ready to ship out in q2 of 2024 so that's maybe part of the reason we're seeing a little bit of that sell-off right now courtney Awesome. Thank you very much. Christina Partsonevlis. Josh, I want to go over to you. I believe you own NVIDIA. What do you make of this news on the super chip, which to me sounds like an oxymoron, right? They're so small. Super chip. Anyway. I do. <laughs> super chip sounds good. Super chip, you know, super, super is oh, usually better. I don't, I don't know how to interpret these types of pronouncements these days because I, it's, look, I'm, I'm a long-term shareholder here. I love the fact that NVIDIA has essentially had the high end of this market to itself and then it's got this moat, this, this lock-in via the CUDA software platform, which I've been talking about for almost 10 years now. Uh, so it's great that they're in this position, but now they also have to play defense because you know Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, they're all developing their own chips. They're all developing uh, stuff that's gonna be interoperable with their, their, per, their uh, in-house AI environments. And uh, it's, it's rare for a technology company to be so cutting edge that it keeps competitors at bay forever. So part of me is like, oh, cool, a super chip, why not? But then part of me is like, you know, we have to be aware that the big risk here is is competition, um, probably more so than valuation or anything like that. So that's that's how I think about it when I hear stuff like this. 
Fair enough. Well, still ahead, our chart of the day. Healthcare is the only sector in the green right now. What's behind the move and how is the committee playing that sector? Halftime is back in two minutes and we'll talk it through. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Broader averages still down, but let's get to our charts of the day. Eli Lilly, Novo Nordisk, both hitting record highs. Lilly soaring on strong results, and Novo rallying on positive trial data for its weight loss drug. Those moves are helping the broader healthcare sector. It's the only S&P group in the green right now. It's been an interesting one for healthcare. It's the third best sector over the last month, but still the third worst sector for the year. Bryn, you've picked healthcare in your stock summit as a sector pick. When you hear these results today, while you're not involved in these individual names. Does it sort of give you, I, I don't know, more credence to maybe look a little deeper at this name going forward as a defensive play or otherwise based on what you heard today? Well, I mean, it's very exciting, obviously, with Novo's announcement that their weight loss drug, you know, improves cancer or cardiac events by 20 percent. So both stocks are up, what, 15, 16, Eli and um, Nova, 15, 16 percent, which, you know, Eli's 7 percent of XLV. And so I think that's pulling up the whole sector. You know, going into the year, healthcare was my pick. So I did feel we were late stage cycle and that consumer consumer um, utilities and um, companies like Procter & Gamble were just overvalued. And so healthcare to me was a the way to be invested and be defensive. It's definitely underperformed. But this is, you know, this is what's exciting about biopharmacy and what's happening in R&D within the space because you have these just watershed events. I mean, I think the estimates for these drugs are up to 150 million Americans could take them. And so I just think that's why you're getting that reaction. So it's an exciting day. But um, you definitely want to see healthcare continue to move higher, especially as if we continue to get Things like credit card spending going higher, delinquencies going higher. You would want to see healthcare, that defensive play, actually continuing to, to, to move through towards the end of the year. Sarai, you don't own either of these names, but Novo Nordis did have some really nice results today. And to some of Bryn's points, the idea about Wagovi potentially helping all of these other major factors in Americans, great news for all of us as individuals, but potentially for ownership in the name. It, it is. And, and I think... To, to Bryn's point, the reason you own these stocks is not correlated to the economy. They're, they're correlated to kind of what products they can come out with. And given where we are in valuation, there's so many stocks in this area, whether it's a Bristol or a J&J, or you get into some of the medical product makers, or even the companies like Thermo Fisher that will benefit because guess what? They're going to be using their products as they mm. manufacture. So there's a lot of potential there, and I think the secular growth is pretty good there, especially when you get one or two new drugs. 
and that's all these companies are doing, the R&D, and, and it's great because the, the, the market is so big as we expand globally as well. Yeah, 150 million Americans. That's a pretty big uh, total addressable market. Stephanie, what do you make of some of these results today? Lilly, Nova Nordis, again, you don't know these names, I don't believe, but you no. do have ownership in the space. I do. Um, I like the, the utilization improvement recovery stories. Mm. So that's like MedTech, like mm. Zimmer. Uh, and that stock, actually, they posted a pretty good quarter. And it, what did it do? It went down. Uh, so I actually added to it most recently because I do think that there, there is this secular change, this trend that you are seeing non-urgent uh, procedures getting done mm. as we reopen, right? We've been right. Re- we, we have been reopened for a while, but it's now just starting to, to gain momentum. Yeah. And so that's the way I want to play it. I think the managed care companies are also very interesting, not cheap enough yet. I used to own United. I like, um, I like Johnson & Johnson with Syrah because they're splitting out. Yeah. And now we can focus on their attractive pharmaceutical business as well as med tech combined. They don't have a consumer piece any longer. And then look at Zoetis today. They yes. reported a great number. Animal health is one of my favorite themes for the long term. It's not a cheap stock by any means, but all they do is beat, raise, and absolutely deliver when they need to because of the secular trends in animal health and companion animal. Yeah, and Zoetis CEO was on last hour. You can check it out on CNBC.com if yep. you missed it. Let's get over to the headlines with Pippa Stevens. Hi, Pippa. Courtney, U.S. regulators announced a combined $549 million in penalties against Wells Fargo and other Wall Street firms that failed to maintain electronic records of employee communications. This is the regulators' latest attempt to stop employees and managers from using secure messaging apps like WhatsApp and Signal. Fines over the last few years related to this issue total more than $2 billion. And scientists confirmed what we already widely expected. July was the hottest month ever recorded. The European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Service said today that this July was one and a half degrees hotter than the previous hottest month on record, which was July of 2019. And Subway fans are fighting to prove their loyalty. The sandwich shop says nearly 10,000 people have offered to change their name to Subway to receive free sandwiches for life. The entries rolled in within the first four days of the contest. One person will be selected this month, winning a $50,000 gift card and the money to legally complete the name change. Courtney, that definitely is loyalty. That is the silliest story. (laughs) Pippa, thank you so much. Josh, were you one of the 10,000? Did you uh, put in for free sandwiches for life to change your name? Sadly, no, Courtney. Sadly, no. Uh, there might still be time. Well, coming up, our call of the day, a downgrade for two housing-related stocks. One firm says the run is likely over for now. We'll see if the committee agrees. That's coming up next on Halftime. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. 
time, let's get you our call of the day. Home Depot and Lowe's are moving lower following downgrades at Telsey Advisor Group. The firm expecting a slightly steeper slowdown related to weak housing trends and cautious consumer spending. So you own Lowe's. These names are, are reporting soon, so we don't know all right. the details of the quarter. Downgraded by Telsey, Wells Fargo leans positives on the names. Barclays undecided. What are you thinking? I mean, I agree. We cut it back to a 1% position, but I still want to hold the stock because I do think timing it is going to be really hard. But you still have demand coming in, especially where interest rates are. People are still doing things to their home. They're, they're still going to go to Lowe's and Home Depot. We like Lowe's just because it's cheaper than Home Depot, but I like both of the companies. I don't think demand is going to go, go away. And look, we have inflation in this area, too. So companies are have pricing power. The question is, how much are they going to do? And we'll see when we get earnings and see what operating leverage you're going to get out of it. I was going to ask you why Lowe's and not Home Depot. And Link, I think you're in Home Depot. Home Depot fairly recently. Um, but the stock has lagged. It's only up 3% mm -hmm. year to date. I don't think it has a commanding valuation. I understand why Joe did it because the stock's up 17% from Joe from the, being the analyst, the analyst. at Telsey. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think, you know, it's up 17% from May. So maybe taking some gains short term, but long term I'm with Surat. It's hard to time. In the meantime, these guys are a market share taker. New home sales are the best that we've seen since March of last year. So you do have some uh, momentum there. I like what they're doing in pro. I like what they're doing in e-commerce. E supply chains are going to eventually improve. So all of these headwinds that they had, I actually think go away and they are again going to take market share. So I like it. If it's weak on the quarter, because mm -hmm. it kind of does trade mm -hmm. in a weird way when they report it. It does, doesn't it? Right? Yeah. Um, if, it's, if it's down on the new, I will buy more. Okay. Bren, what do you make of this call from Telsey? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good call. I mean, all you have to do is look at two stocks. Lennar is up 40%. Home Depot is up three. So what's the difference? Lennar is selling new homes. Home Depot is selling remodels. The the non-new home market has just been locked up. And until we get rate cuts, until that market unfreezes, I think you just want to steer clear. Obviously, it's a wonderful company, but I just think from a timing perspective, you're going to have to wait till rate cuts and that, that existing home market opens up, and that's when you're going to be able to re-enter that. But until then, I mean, the, the, the Lennars and the, and, the, and the Hortons are where the play is, and your people are just not shopping at Home Depot when you buy a new house. You're going to Best Buy or other places to buy electronics, TVs, et cetera. Hmm, interesting point. Josh, you own invitation homes. You're not necessarily here in Home Depot or Lowe's. No, uh, but the, you know those have been those have been good investments over the years. I prefer invitation homes because it's very specifically a play on uh, the the desire on the part of mostly millennials who want to live in a nice neighborhood, but can't necessarily justify the mortgage cost to do so these days. And there really isn't any inventory out there. So invitation homes in the, in the top housing markets in the country, they own single family homes. It's not apartments. It's houses in beautiful neighborhoods, and they offer people who are trying to get their lives started the opportunity to rent one of those homes rather than have to buy it, which makes a lot of sense right now. There are only two of these pure plays publicly traded. I think Invitation Homes is substantially undervalued. I own it in my IRA so that I am not paying ordinary income on the distributions, uh, and that's the way that I would recommend people do REITs in general. Um, but I, I think this thing's going much higher in the coming years. Well, up next, Mike Santoli is going to join us with his midday word halftime. We'll be right back after this. Grade my trade. 
Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag GradeMyTrade. We're back on halftime. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is here with his midday word. Mike, obviously markets off the lows of the session, but still low, muted. We had this report from Moody's. We talked about it before. Nothing new, but maybe resurfacing comes some concerns. Yeah. Is this is there more serious concern about what's going on in the market? I think um, it's still in the normal zone of pullbacks. This is kind of the expected side effects of bull markets as you have this choppy period. Uh, It doesn't mean it's going to be quick or easy, but I I think that for the last few weeks we've been in this sort of back and forth sloppy range. If you think about it, mid-July is when everyone declared we're we're in a new bull market. The soft landing is now the expected economic scenario. Uh, The market's got a little bit stretched to the upside. Sentiment got a little happy. Um, And, you know, we expected a a pretty good earnings season. I think all of that is more or less still the case. It's just that markets had gotten to a point where it priced in a bit. Seasonally, August, everyone knows it. It's a little tougher. Um, And I do think that the volatility in the bond market kind of gives you enough for either side to worry here. One is that yields going much higher are going to be a restraint on the economy. It's going to mean a slowdown or, you know, we get another inflation surprise. So I think it's all that's happened is in the last couple of months, the bar for good news to be taken as good news got higher. Mm. Uh, And so we're just dealing with that right now. We're only 3% off the highs in the S&P 500, even though Apple, you know, had a 10% correction. A lot of folks didn't think that was going to be possible. So I think another couple percent of downside is still, again, in the normal zone. But, you know, every every nasty correction starts with a normal pullback. So you can never say for sure. And so if we were talking about a soft landing in July, we have these notes out today. J.P. Morgan, Credit Suisse, Moody's thinking maybe recession is back on the table. I I think it's more of a reminder that we've never gotten an all clear and we probably won't get an all clear. And those folks will remind people that we're still in the normal lag period for when a recession could show up after we got all these leading indicators pointing in that direction. So I don't know if you want to invest based on that somewhere out there is a recession uh, or not, but it is one of those kind of nagging things that calls at you from the sidelines when the market is looking a little bit dicey and you say, maybe we can't assume that we're going to be growing indefinitely. At the same time, whether you believe the Atlanta Fed real-time estimate or not, it's near 4% right now for the third quarter. So, wow. you know, everybody can have their, their way with the numbers. A recession is out there somewhere, like a broken clock is right twice a day. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Or, you know, eventually we all, we all grow old. <laughs> eventually, things, eventually tougher things happen. It's just hard to predict when. I don't grow old. No, that's I was just about to say that. Oh, yeah. okay, good, good. Well, thank you, Mike. The committee is getting ready to grade your trades. Halftime report is back right after this. Time for Grade My Trade for Bryn. We have a question on the Cash Cow's ETF, ticker C-O-W-Z. One viewer recently invested in it back in December. It was your summit pick. What are your thoughts on it now? Yeah, great question. So um, this is a core position. You know, Cal's is up 10%, around 10% year to date. 
What we really like about it is it takes the Russell 1000 and it's, it ranks it by free cash flow yield. And so it screens for the 100 highest free cash flow yielding companies. Um, they kick out financials um, because that skews it um, because of the cash that they have on, on hand. And then it weights them by free cash flow yield, not market cap. And so you end up getting really a value bias. So right now there's like energy, healthcare, materials are the core holdings. And so I think in a year like this, when the queues are up 40, this feels definitely more like the tortoise. But in a portfolio, when we don't know what's going to happen over the next year or so, that optionality, that free cash flow yield gives these companies so much, so many levers. Got it. So for Surat, John and Twitter, about 20 shares of Prudential Financial at 83. Speaking of financials, grade that trade. So I like it. I mean, the stock's at 93 now. You're getting a 5% yield to hold the stock. Prudential's really cheap now because people are scared about what's on their balance sheet, especially kind of real estate, whether it's commercial real estate or something else. But they're long-term holders. 90% of uh, their balance sheet really is fixed income, and that adds to it, meaning real estate. So uh, I like it. You did a good one, and I would hold it for a while. For Stephanie, Mohammed in Arizona bought 50 shares of Fortinet at 63 bucks. He wants to know if he should buy more around current levels. Yeah, this was going to be my final trade. But, ah. <laughs> but uh, so... Stay tuned. It's a okay. different name. <laughs> um, but on this one, it was down 25% on Friday because they disappointed in earnings. It was up 60% headed into the print. So high expectations. I still like this story very much. I would be buying it here. Um, and I plan to when I'm not uh, restricted um, because this, these guys have a total addressable market of something like $280 billion between now and 2026. That's a 16% CAGR. They grow top line 18 to 20%. Margins are expanding. They're gaining market share. So I know it was a disappointing quarter in terms of the guidance, probably more conservative, but I do like it on the pullback. All right. Well, coming up, big earnings action. Three of Josh's holdings will report today after the belly's going to be busy. The setup is next on Halftime. We're back. Josh, today is a big day for you. Three of your holdings are reporting results after the bell. They include Dutch Brothers, Toast, and Matterport. So what are you watching for each of these names? Very different companies. Courtney, it's the worst three. <laughs> I feel like Spider-Man when the whole uh, Sinister Six gangs up on him. I have to fight, like, uh, Rhino and Dr. Octopus. Like, they're just, these are, these are not good stocks. Uh, to Toast did something weird in the middle of this quarter. They had this like uproar from users about this 99 cent charge and they got rid of it. I think that was smart for the long-term health of the business, but it'll probably blow the quarter. You saw the stock lose two billion in market cap when they did it like two weeks ago. I don't expect anything good there. Uh, Matterport is almost a penny stock, not even worth talking about. Um, Dutch Bros is on the shortest leash. I, I, I'm, I'm tired of hearing about them uh, crying over inflation. Uh, if they do that again, I'll probably just take the loss. Um, anyway, I don't have anything good to say right now. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow we'll turn that frown upside down. I was going to say, I mean, my Honest, gosh, listen, what are you going to do with I, these names I, if they're such dogs? But, but can I say one thing? This, yeah. like, I keep, I keep it extremely real. This is what I do. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't try to put silver lining where none exists. I don't sugarcoat. I don't make it like everything I buy goes up. If you're looking for that, you're, you're watching the wrong show. This is the real thing. You own stocks. You make investments. You think you're making a good investment. Sometimes things change. Sometimes the market mood changes. 
Sometimes companies have execution issues. Sometimes the sector goes out of favor. Sometimes all of those things happen at once. And this is, this is how it works in real life. And anyone that pretends they don't have stocks that, that are down in their portfolio is lying. So I, I always get, I give you the real thing. And if you don't I, like it, I don't know what to tell you. I, I like it. There's no lipstick on your pigs. Let's hit another one I know one you like quick. it. I mean, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's hit another one if we can. Roblox is reporting before the bell tomorrow. Bryn, you own this one, Surat, you too. But, Bryn, I'm going to start with you. What are you expecting? Remember when the metaverse was all the rage? Is it still? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this company is an old company. It's a newer public company. But I want to say this first. I always like to re-underwrite my names. And I have a strong belief that I don't have to make it back the same way I lost it. So, Josh, if these companies don't deliver, just cut the cord. Um, <laughs> But, you know, Roblox, I love Dave Dave Mizuki. This company, as I said earlier, has been around for a long time. I just want to give some perspective. In Q1 of 2021, they had $387 million in revenues. Last quarter, they had $655 million. They had $81 million of free cash flow. Asia Pacific, especially Japan, um, is growing really fast. Asia Pacific grow 40%. The stock, though, right, the stock has been in this trading range between 35 and it just like kisses 50. So it's at around 37 right now. This is not a great week to have earnings. So we'll see, I'm, I'm still in this name. I think it's a, such a sticky platform um, and we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, it's definitely not on a short leash for me at this moment. So I'll close this out on Roblox. Look, I mean, I think what you're looking for is growth and growth in, in revenue per user. That's what the metrics are. They were cash flow positive. They have 500 million on their balance sheet. Uh, it is out of favor. Growth is completely out of favor at this point, but they are making money. They're not borrowing to grow. They're not trying to just grow the top line, uh, but they are trying to be a bigger base. So I like it, but again, it's part of a diversified portfolio. I've got so many value stocks. This one was a dog last year. It's up yep. 20% this year, but you know, it was up in the 80s and 90s. So you have to actually look, I mean, what Josh is right, you have to right. figure out where this belongs in your portfolio. Not all are going to be winners right away. Hopefully they are long term, but at some point you have to kind of say, hey, where is this going to go? All right. We'll watch those metrics and circle back. Stick with us. Your final trades are coming up next on Halftime. Check out this shot of the day. Look at this video. Brown bears playing in water in Katmai, Alaska. This is in a national park on a day when the bears are out in full force (laughs) on Wall Street. It just felt appropriate, but gosh, aren't they cute? Cuter than probably how we feel here. We are back, it is time for the final trades. Bryn, you're up first. Yeah, JEPQ, it owns the NASDAQ 100 and sells two and a half to 3% out of the money calls. You want a defensive way to play the Qs. It still has a distribution yield around 10%. Josh. I still like the insurance names. One name I'm watching, not in, is uh, Chubb Limited CB. Surat? Uh, Morgan Stanley, I think it's unfairly beaten down today. It has nothing to do with regional banks or even some of the large cap banks. It, it's a wealth management capital markets firm. And Steph? CVS. It's really cheap, and they've got synergies on the horizon. Well, that does it for the Halftime Report. Thanks for joining us. The Exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. We could try to explain what it's like to get your work done on a John Deere mower, compact tractor, or Gator XUV. But to really understand the feeling, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.